And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning. And, and welcome. We are just, we are just Christians. Christians. Thanks for Thanks tuning in to the show today. We really appreciate it, as we say every week, and we really mean that. And we hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We'll be on till 10 o'clock Eastern time here to take your calls, comments, and questions. It's we Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, and we'll be giving you the numbers in just a moment so you that you that so you can reach us if you desire. We'd love to have your input into the show, and we, we would be thankful for that because it makes the show more interesting. You'll find that other people have the same comments or the same kind of questions that you probably do, uh, the same things trouble them or interest them that you think nobody else is interested in, but you're probably not correct about that. Everybody's got the same fundamental interest. And then sometimes our callers add a lot of stuff that we've never thought about before, and we appreciate that. Now, since it is a live call-in show, we can't guarantee you that we're going to agree with what you say. And if we don't agree, we'll let you know and let you know why. We'll try to give you a Bible reason for that that you can look up one way or the other, either agree or disagree. And then you can go look in your Bible and Think through that and see what you think, and uh, we'll treat you with respect, and we'll give you the last word. So when you do call in, you're, you're not going to be shuffled off and made fun of or something. won't work like that. So we encourage you to call in and have a conversation with us. Some people can stay on the line, some can't. We hope you can stay on the line and have a conversation with us. As you heard, my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the hosts of the show, one of the elders and the preacher here at the Church of Christ on Savannah Boulevard. Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing okay this morning. Mike, you, you said something about give them a Bible answer, and I believe that's correct. But the Bible answer we we try to give is based on John 12:48, And Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Correct. That's where we're trying to get our answers from. Correct. So we're going, because we, because our presupposition is that it's very important and critical what you do with the word and how you receive the word and what the word says, then we're going to emphasize that in our teaching, in our preaching, in our personal lives, in the life of the church, and in the answers we give on this show or the comments we make on this show. So we're going to talk about any range of stuff. You're free to bring up pretty much any subject that you'd like to talk about. It doesn't have to be a church topic per se. It can be even something in your own life or observations you've made. We certainly aren't going to limit that. And we would love to have, as we mentioned before, calls or comments from people that have had bad experiences in churches or, un- or are unbelievers. We'd love to have your comments, and we promise that we'll, be, we'll, we'll both treat each other with respect, and we've been learned something from that. And I'd love to have you call the show. So go ahead and do that, if you will, and then we give you the numbers. Since I'm talking about that, that'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. is the number to call the radio station. They'll patch it through to us. We're going to have about a one or two second delay there, and we'll try not to step on you. And if that happens, it's surely an accident. We're not trying to interrupt you or anything like that or cut you off if we do happen to step on you when we have a conversation. But 772 772- Three four zero fifteen ninety. You can also reach the show, and it's more convenient for some people to text this. So Gary and I both have text numbers. Mike's text number is seven seven two two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero is mine, and then Gary's number is similar seven seven two two six zero six two two zero seven seven two two six zero six two two zero is Gary's text number. And you can reach us during the show. We'll try to respond if we possibly can. And uh, usually we do in some fashion. Or you can reach us during the week if you'd like to talk. Uh, give us a text during the week and say, well, talk about this or here's my question or I'll make a comment about what you've heard. We'd be glad to hear from you either way, by call or by text. We also have an email address, uh, which is justchristians at att.net. Hopefully that's simple enough. All one word, justchristians at att.net. So that's how you reach the show. I'll try to remember to repeat that a little bit later on, but give us a call, 772-340-1590. You know, so, go ahead, Gary. I thought no, you no, go ahead. I was, I was 
looking at something and a thought went in my mind and then I lost it. Oh, well, that happens to me every every few seconds, pretty much. I have such brilliant thoughts that I can never say. You know, they're just absolutely brilliant, Gary, as you know. But, of course, I never can say them because I forgot them before I get done with it. What was that, you know? And you always have the great thoughts when you're in the shower or just before you go to sleep, you know, and you... Then by the time you wake up or get out of where you can write it down, I need one of the little recorders, you know, and I'm in the bathroom shaving or something to make notes about things that I can uh, talk about. Anyway, all right, there is a bunch of stuff we could talk about this morning. We would appreciate your calls, but look, we'll go talk about a couple of different things. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a running start at this one a little bit, Gary. The last uh, three or four weeks, and I'm kind of prepping for a series I'm working working on to finish up on a Christian worldview, just what the Bible would say about our, a person's general view of wor- the world, civilization, society, man, eternity, all those things. What's the Bible say about those things in a broad way? That would be a worldview type thing. But in, in preparation for that, I've been going over, I've been having a series of sermons, two or three, on how we got here. How did we get to the place where people that we nominate to the Supreme Court, very intelligent people, can't answer the simple question, what is a woman? Straightforwardly. Just a yeah. straight, they can't give a straightforward answer. How did we get there? How did we get to where people whose bodies are flush with testosterone are beating women at women's sports and demanding to be called women? How did we get there? How did we get where we are, where a, a, big, a big chunk of our society is caught up in pornography and other sexual sins, where divorce is more common than marriage. How did we get there, you see? And, and I was just going to say on Wednesday night, it's kind of the same subject, but it's from the different direction. On Wednesday night, we're looking at, you know, what do you see in nature about God? And basically, wow. I think that's just much of the same problem, only it's coming from the different direction. Right. It is. And, and I'm going to talk about that this morning in the lesson that I've got planned is what, the, in a very broad way, what does the Bible say about man and who he is, what man is, and as opposed to what the common culture says about man and so forth. I did a sermon. Well, I'm going to get to, I'm getting too far afield here. I did a sermon. Well, for, you, I preached it all over the country called Man's Rivals. But go ahead, Gary. Well, it's just, it's, I come back to it's, it's, the other direction of what you're saying is Romans 1, 19 and 20, uh, because what may be known of God is manifest. And basically in verse 20, he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And he goes on. But basically what we've done is we've left out the fact that God created this world. We don't think about God in connection with the things about us anymore. No, and that's uh, that's all part of the process I've been talking about. How we got yeah, here. that's exactly how what I'm. We got here historically through the Renaissance and the, and all that all that kind of thing to this position where man never does not consider himself a created being any longer, but is completely autonomous unto himself. And uh, that sounds all good and stuff, but it ends up causing uh, a serious problem as far as man's identity. And people still kind of Gary hang on in some ways to the idea that man's somehow special or that there's a creator, but they throw it away in what they really believe. And they believe that we all got here by completely by the processes of organic evolution, blind evolution. And then what's happened is they have made evolution a God in itself. And let's say evolution did this. Evolution decided this. Or evolution, evolution designed this. Designed, produced this, you know. Yeah. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're noticing in the creation and in this animals and in man obvious elements that are behind, that, that demand a designer or creator and the wonders of it all. And, they, and so they have to attribute to something. They, their mind knows that something accounts for this, and it isn't just blind chance. And so they give us a capital E evolution. And well, they, they give us the capital N nature. Are they, they don't have a capital N God, right? Well, are okay. they say the universe decided or yes. the universe did this or the universe? 
they they realize something is behind all this, but they just can't afford to admit what what it is. I guess that's my view of it. Yeah, it is, and that's that's where a man is. Now, uh, the, you mentioned Romans one, but let's let me back up a second. It probably goes with what I was talking about in the sermon here. I, we could done. I didn't really intend to go here, but we will anyway briefly, because I was looking at a news article here. I was trying to get a running <laughs> start on it, but in any event, in Psalm nineteen, one of the more well known Psalms. The Bible Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day into day utter speech and night into night reveals knowledge. So it says just the days and the nights and the cycles of nature are speaking to us and revealing knowledge and so forth. So the heavens declare his glory and so forth. Now that that's the first part of Psalm uh, of Psalm 19. And hang on a minute here, if I can get it to go. It sounds a lot like Romans 1. Well, it is, and and that's what I'm trying to get at. I can't find, I can't make this computer do what I want it to do at the moment. I'm at the wrong place. Can't see where I'm at. Um, Hang on, Gary. Sorry. So then he says in verse 7, though, of Psalm 19, without a break, really, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. As he goes on, it talks yeah. about the word of God. So here's how I put this together. And you might have heard me talk about this before, but here's how I, I put this together. I would say that what you have, combining Psalms and the verse you read in Romans, is that the Bible is saying that creation and nature itself Declare God's glory. And so Paul more specifically says they show his divinity, his power, his power. Okay, you can know in nature and you're without excuse for not believing that there is a divine being and that he has power greater than man by far. That's what nature shows you. Now, nature doesn't show you, though, that God is a loving God or that God is a wrathful God doesn't show you. The character of God, per se, like that, it shows you that there is a divine being, and he is power, more powerful than man, and man ought to honor and respect him. But is he good? Well, pagan cultures came away saying God is evil, or not God is evil, but God is capricious, God is wrathful, God demands our firstborn children, you know, and all this kind of thing. So, um, but what the Bible reveals, though, is the nature of God, that he is actually a God of love and mercy and kindness. And that love, mercy, kindness, and justice demand that man as a sinner be punished unless he was able to receive grace that God offers. So it shows a God of grace, God of love, as well as a God of justice and a God of wrath. So the the Bible reveals the character of God and in his relation to man Nature shows you there's a God. In both cases, Paul says we're without excuse for our actions and our beliefs in this case. So this is what now. So my point this morning in the sermon is going to be, so you don't even have to come, I guess, come and say right now, (laughs) is that uh, the Bible reveals the true nature of human beings, of mankind. There is the view in some religious circles and and in um, in so-called science, if you if you boil away all of the all the foolish optimism in science, you come away. If you just look at nature itself, you come away thinking that nature is good and kind and benevolent. No, no. you do not. You come away that nature is is very cruel and unjust and it's doggy, literally a dog eat dog world. Okay, that's what you come away, and that's what the pagans understood at the bottom of everything. And you come away with despair. What is man? Well, man is, you know, a, a hairless ape who is barely above his fellows. M- modern people, and, and what's being taught in our universities and even on Disney, is that modern people have very little to differentiate themselves from anything else in the universe. Whether it's mold on the, on the wall or whether it's, whether it's a bonobo ape or whatever it is, there is very little to distinguish man from, these other, from the rest of nature because they don't believe in anything except nature. The Bible says there's nature and God made it. It's orderly it makes, and, and shows his greatness, but there's more than nature. There's a spiritual realm. 
in which dwells God and right. others and truth and unity and knowledge and all those things. Without that upper story, as Francis Schaeffer calls it, man is a meaningless thing. And, and we are all just doomed to live a, a cold, a desperate life um, that ends with no meaning at all. And if you think that you will find meaning, if you don't believe in God, and you think you'll find meaning in doing good to your fellow man, I have a lot of questions for you. What good is it going to do in the end to do good to your fellow man when all of us are just going to be destroyed and be no different than uh, any other little creature that you see? And the universe is going to turn into a cold, dark place. What good is it? What good? You, and how do you know what good is? That's my big question. And Without the revelation of scripture, how do you know just from evolution? What does evolution say is good except survival? Well, now that's good. Survival is good. But survival doesn't teach you anything about goodness. It could teach you cruelty and selfishness and whatever. But see, I'm, I'm using emotional words with moral content and, and I'm not going to, I don't permit atheists and evolutionists to use words with moral content in any discussion. I'm not going to permit them to use these words in debates. I haven't, I'm not going to, in the sense that they, they have to tell me if they think that God is cruel, tell me how you define cruel. By whose standard do you say something is cruel? When a praying mantis grabs a grasshopper and I've watched him do it and you hear the thing begin to crunch and crunch and crunch it he slowly eats the grasshopper alive bit by bit alive crunching away is that cruel well it isn't to the praying mantis and who gets to decide it's cruel you see and so when Hitler lines up all the Jews and shoots a bunch of them it, it got so bad early in the we have a caller so just hang on a second here but <laughs> Early in the German regime, Hitler was having his men in the SS line up these Jews and these gypsies and homosexuals in these villages and just shoot them all, men, women, and children, make them dig their own trench, line them up on the trench, shoot them and dump them in. And it got so bad that his men were falling apart. They, they couldn't keep doing it because it was just too hard on them. And so him and he and uh, I think Himmler came up with the other plan where it was easier to get the Jewish prisoners themselves to drag the bodies out of the ovens in the crematorium and, and drag them out of the gas chambers. And all, all his SS had to do was drop a little tablet of uh, Zyklon, Zyklon B into a, into a uh, chute, and it went down and created the poison gas and killed the people. Now, the men could do that somewhat. So, well, so that, who's to say what's cruel if there's no God? Now, you and I know that's terrible. And almost everybody's listening to my voice, Gary, they have an emotional reaction to what I'm saying because there's more than nature, there's more than evolution. Man is more than that, and they know it. They just don't like the consequence of that, though, is what you said in the beginning. My words will judge you in the last day. They, that's, exactly. that's why they reject this concept of God and morality because that's the ultimate truth that they'll be judged. Because people are going to be responsible for their actions and what they believe, and it's going to come up at a judgment, and people don't like that. Right. Now, we're going to go over some of this in my sermon this morning, so I'm sorry if that's going to be a repeat, but it's been on my mind. All right. We're going to have to go to the phones. Uh, uh, well, we're glad to go to the phones, actually. Are you, are you there, Jerry? Uh, yes. Thank you, Mike, for taking my call. Good morning, Gary. I was wondering about, uh, in uh, I attended a Lutron here for a long time and when they say the benediction uh, in the Lutheran uh, church and Catholic I don't wonder what uh, it's a, something that happens during our service uh, and I just wonder if you knew what uh, that was the benediction during the mass and I'd like to listen off all month if that's okay that's fine I hope I, 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 that's fine Jerry and I appreciate you calling and I hope that I uh, cover, you know, the question that you have in the answer. But okay, I, I got a note that our sound is going on and off on the air, apparently. Oh, no. I'm not even talking about any. Well, am I talking on something terribly that Skype would censor us? I'm just teasing. So anyway, no, he, uh, I heard it's fine from the producer of the show. But that doesn't mean that the person listening, wherever they're listening from or whatever means they're listening. Some people listen on the air live through the radio station. Some people listen on the Internet. That doesn't mean that you have a good connection there. But 
We'll we'll take a look at things. I had the producer okay. is looking into it, make sure we're all. Well, well, I've got a note here from somebody trying to listen that says we're on and off and uh, not on. Ask ask them how they're listening. Okay, I'll see. Okay. And we we appreciate that kind of information, by the way. I know it's an interruption to the show, but we appreciate getting feedback that you can't hear or we're not clear or you said something I don't understand. Uh, we we really appreciate that very much when we get that kind of feedback. And you can use the text number to do that, or you can call the station and tell them if you think it's a radio problem. But since we do this show live through Skype, it's all going through our computer and mixer and microphones back to the station over the Internet, and then they have to broadcast it. And when we're having a conversation with someone like Jerry there, that those uh, sound those electronic <laughs> signals are bouncing back and forth in about five different ways. That's why there's a delay, partly, and and so it can get a little confusing. Anyway, we appreciate that. Now, the benediction, um, the word benediction just comes from uh, bene in Latin is good, and dictos is word. So a benediction is a good word in literally in Latin. I just got word. If you're listening on the radio, it could be their reception in the area, and that's true. That's what I was saying. So it could be just the uh, the actual reception right there, and uh, but that's good for WPSL to know too that there are some places where it doesn't work. So a the benediction is probably found. Well, it's a short prayer that means a good word. So a cert, sometimes we don't have formal type worship services here because those more formal type services were found in the temple of the Jews, but they were not carried over into the Christian uh, worship assemblies from what we can read in the New Testament, much more informal and based on, you know, the revelation of God and the preaching and so forth. We don't have formal type prayers that are repeated, repetitive prayers here, although we pray. But a benediction is a good word, so it's a blessing. And I often say, God bless you all for being here. Well, that's a that's a form of benediction. And and but but some churches have a formal capital B benediction, and it's usually based on uh, a passage. I think, look, I'm trying to look it up here. I think it's Numbers chapter six. Um, hang on, I'm trying to get it get to it here. Number six. Um, down in the middle of that chapter. Let me see if I yeah, can. Yeah, here it is. It's it's uh, number 624. So Aaron, he said, speak, God says, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless. And that's another word for benedict, benediction. A blessing is something that is good or useful. It, actually, the word bless in the New Testament is just the word for thanks or giving thanks or blessing. And so you have this, this is the way you will bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so shall they put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. So that's a great passage, isn't it? Those yeah. are wonderful scriptures. And I have zero problem with with churches reading that that blessing to the congregation or even the whole congregation saying it for that matter. We don't do that as a practice of habit here, but it's certainly in my opinion, I don't know what Gary thinks, it certainly wouldn't be wrong because this is something, this isn't a made-up prayer that humans make up like a lot of other things going on in Catholic and Lutheran churches with un, unbiblical names. So the word benediction is not particularly an unbiblical name, even though the capitalized part of it is. See, this is this is a misunderstanding a lot of people. If you're, if you're listening, for example, and you're a Baptist or charismatic or one of the low religions they're called, low denominations. Not uh, not by us, but... Well, that's what religious sociologists call them. You know what? Are, that, that's the high the denomination is Episcopalian, Catholic, Catholic and Episcopalian and, uh, you know, Anglican, plus well, same thing. Presbyterian, those are more of a high denomination. I was just wanted to be sure everybody understood who takes that point of view. Yeah, I'm only I'm using it, and I am using it with a little bit of a smile on my face. It's what they call the more lower religions, low denominations. They don't they the upper ones, the higher ones have a more formal, structured service 
in the form of what they call a liturgy. A liturgy is another word that means an order of things. So it's not wrong to have order. In fact, when I get up here this morning and get up here ready for service, I'm going to put up on our on our TV, you know, an order of how we're going to do things. There's going to be a prayer, and here's going to lead it. There's going to be this song, this song, this song. We're going to do the singing. That We're going to do preaching. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. So it's all going to be listed out. That in, that in a bare form, Gary, could be called a liturgy or an order structured of things. But it can be altered every week, and no one tells us what to do with that except what's going on, the circumstance that we're in, and the person who's leading it. So it's not formal in that regard. And we don't have formal prayers where if you get up to do a certain thing, when we get up to take the Lord's Supper here, the man who is in charge of that to to uh, pass out the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, he's going to say from Scripture what he thinks is appropriate for us, an exhortation and we'll a reminder often, of what we're doing. We'll often read from Scripture at that read point. Read from Scripture, make a brief exhortation, explanation of what we're doing, and and he may he may uh, and then when he prays he's going to pray a prayer that he prays, which is a, in a sense a benediction or a blessing, but it's not a recited thing. It's not like oh no, if you don't say these exact words at this time, the the magic formula is broken. We don't do abracadabra stuff. I call it here. I don't mean to be completely disrespectful, but we don't do abracadabra magic stuff because I don't think you find that in the New Testament that these words have to be said by this person and he has to have these credentials like the, the Catholic problem they had here a few months ago where apparently all these baptisms in was it Miami thousands of them marriages and baptisms were all invalid they were going to have to try to figure out how to contact all these people tell them that their baptism was invalid and that their that their um, uh, children's blessing was invalid and that their communions all invalid their marriages were invalid because the priest said two words wrong in, a, in his statement about this. He, he said, will be instead of could be or something like that. Some simple little thing like that. And what he had been saying for years and years, somebody finally realized he's saying the wrong thing. And therefore, since, we, since he doesn't say abracadabra properly, it doesn't work. The Catholic Church's position is that doesn't go to God. That doesn't work. God can't sort that out. So all these things are invalid. Gary, you're grinning. <laughs> this, <laughs> well, this is, I, I read it, in, I mean, I know that this is what they believe, and I read it in the newspaper, this is a big problem. Now, we don't do that kind of thing, but we do believe in blessing the fruit of the vine and the bread, for example, because the scriptures stated, and that means give thanks for, and so we do this, and so my point, I guess I'm distracted. If, if you want to give a benediction, uh, by reading these verses, I imagine, although Gary, Jerry didn't stay on the line, I imagine this is the benediction he's referring to, from what I can tell and what I can remember about it. Well, there's one other point I'd like to make about this. It's a good one. It's a good one in number six. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something else that we need to look at. One thing that we can be sure of, the things referred to here, he says, bless and keep you, uh, make his face shine upon you. The the Lord lift up his uh, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's one of the things that we're sure is the proper thing that God expects us to ask for. Exactly, He told us the kind of thing we're, Which, and so that's why it's a great it's a great prayer. And and you know what I think I'm going to do, Gary? I think I'm going to read that this morning. In our <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people have asked me, you know, what do I pray for? Well, you know. Actually, I you can pray for most anything, but I think God expects you to be thinking about the things that pertain to him and your life and, and that are important to those things, not not necessarily physical things, if you understand right. what I'm saying. Right. Well, and the God God gives uh, us some kind of guidance in in the in the model prayer. Yes. OK. Our father art in heaven, how to be that. And he's not saying you got to say this particular words he they asked him how to pray so jesus told them how to pray how in to a, pray in, not necessarily outline what to pray for the kinds of things to pray for the manner in which you pray the reverence that it shows their honor to god and man that's shown in the, the what we call the lord's prayer um and so yes th this is the uh, th that's what that's what's important there in the passage 
So, yes, Jerry, there is a benediction that I and I believe probably from what I know about it, that the benediction that the Lutheran Church says is found in number six. Now, is that prayer repeated in the New Testament? Not that I know of. In fact, I think this is the only place you'll find it here. That doesn't mean that the words of aren't true. It just means that this was certainly not necessarily a formal part of New Testament worship, that they had to say this prayer, and if they didn't say this prayer, that their worship was invalid or they didn't bless the people and all that kind of There's lots of ways to bless the people that come to services and so forth. Anyway. You want to say more about that? Well, I'm, I was just looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer, and there's there's interesting things in it that I've thought about before. Um, basically, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There is a praise to God. Uh, when you look at uh, verse 13, and it says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There's a recognition of God's power in this. Uh, he says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, basically, the needs we have. And forgive us our debts as we as we forgive our debtors. There's a reflection of our own behavior in it. This is, this is a very, you know, revealing prayer when you start to look, analyze what's in it through those words. Yes, I've done some lessons in the past on the kind, the, what's actually being discussed here. And the kind of prayer, that's why, that's why I tend to call it, if I think about it, I tend to call it the model prayer, and so do a lot of commentators, rather than the Lord's Prayer, because he prayed quite a few prayers in the Bible. And he's not saying, I don't believe, that these are the exact words that you have to say, or you're not really praying. I don't think that's at all what Jesus is saying here uh, in what he's doing. He's giving them a framework to pray. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes that the people were used to hearing didn't always pray this way, you see. And so this is the this is something we need to remember then, that he's telling us the, the kind of things to pray. So I would break it down. You know, some of these parts of this prayer are about man and his needs, some of them about God and his great blessing, his character. So we first start off by giving honor to God, hallowed be thy name, that kind of thing. And then we end up talking about our relationship to our fellow man. And so the Bible's covering both aspects of, of our responsibility. I would say, some would say both horizontally and vertically, right? Yeah, and verse, the first two lines of verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, what's really important in life? That we be, be delivered from Satan. And many of the things here are pointing in. It's just to me, it's just an idea again of the things that are important for us to pray for. Right. If you understand what I mean, yeah. he's giving he's giving the guidelines of what kind of prayer is is acceptable to God, what what we should be praying for, and uh, the kind of things that people pray for. You know, we tend, uh, Gary, we tend to. I say we, me and the me and the little mouse in my pocket. Okay, <laughs> I'll use we that way. We tend to pray for, uh, you know, hope things go well for me. I don't want to get an accident today. Protect me. Thank. Uh, we do thank God for food and for other things, but it's all about personal safety and personal blessings and so forth. That's not. That's not what God. When you read the prayers of the Apostle Paul, that, that's not what his prayers compo were composed of, is it? So we, we see a, quite a bit of difference for, in, the, in the nature of, he was praying for the furtherance of the gospel and the blessings of people and all this kind of thing. And we're praying for personal comfort, safety, protection. And so for, even if we're giving thanks for them, it's still about us. Like so, you said a moment ago. So I, I'm not in, I, I'm not inclined to ask for a closer parking lot to the door of Walmart, but that's, people pray for that though. See, and but this is this is important, I believe, in that there there's there's praise for God and there's recognition of His power and His glory. That should also be a part of prayers. Uh, that's just 
what I see in these. And I think that a lot of people, and I'll, you know, I'll put myself in here. But I don't always do that. Thought I, we we don't we don't have the praise, and we don't have the concern for other people in our prayers that we need to have. That that and that's what's reflected in the model prayer or what we call the Lord's prayer. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So if you were to go read that in Matthew six, there are. I'm sorry, that's the wrong chapter. What, where is it? It's, it is Matthew 6, it, verses 8 through... Okay, that's right. It's, verses 8 through 13. That's one of the places where it's That's found one of the places where it appears. So Matthew 6, it is. And so if you go look at that, and I encourage our listeners to do that, if you go look at that, he's giving you an outline of the kind of things that ought to characterize your prayer. Not the only things you can pray about. In fact, in, in Paul it says we need to pray about everything. Uh, Paul says, excuse me. Well, he also says pray continually. Pray, pray continually. He says, in everything give thanks. Even the things that, that are not going well for you, you need to give thanks for those things that, are, that look to be against you or hurtful or painful things. You need to give thanks for those things. And, um, and so he, he's saying, he says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, in nothing be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. So in every aspect of our life, we're to pray. And, and I've often said, it's not original with me, but if, I, I would say what the Bible is saying there is, if something is big enough to, people say, well, I don't think my prayers matter. I, I'm not going to pray for this because it's, it's too small a thing to concern God about, you know, and they some people mock God. Well, he's got tornadoes to worry about, you know, and hurricanes. He's got pestilence to bring. He can't be bothered by me, and they're being disrespectful. Others are are humbled by the fact that God is the creator of the universe, and so they they don't think, well, my problems aren't significant. He says, in everything, you say, let your request be made unto God. So if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. So what is it this making you anxious or worried or nervous or, or, uh, or we call it the word, we use the word stressed. Whatever that is, whatever that is, you can take that to God. Uh, I just have become more caught, more careful or more circumspect about demanding that God do this or that because the truth is I don't know what God should do half the, most of the time. I, I'm not sure well, here's something I just you do, but. here's something I just noticed in it, Mike. In verse 12, he says, "And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors." And then there's verse 13. But verse 14, he, he follows that immediately. He says, "For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses." What we don't realize is God deals with us in many ways like we deal with each other. Yes. That's just one of those things that doesn't always come out in things that we read. I think I referred to this in the sermon last week that if you were to hang, uh, and I forgot where this idea came from. It, it, it was um, somebody that you would recognize. Many people would as an author, but... It might have been C.S. Lewis, but I don't think it was because it's too modern for that. But he said, uh, if you were, if God were to hang a little digital recorder around your neck, invisible one, and just record all of the things that you said about other people, how can that idiot run that red light? Or who does he think he is for this or that? All day long in our interaction with other people, uh, just record <laughs> those statements that we make. And all oh. he would have to do in the judgment day is just take that recorder and play it back, play it back and then flash the scenes before you in your life of what you say and what you do. He, he wouldn't have to make up any charges against you. you. Your words will have condemned you. Your own actions will have condemned you For and, in the way that you treat other people and other things. Well, think about this one, Matthew 12. I'm going to begin. I'm going to read verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Right. And that includes the words that we speak about everybody around us. That doesn't mean that we don't have a right to, to uh, criticize anyone or point out other people's faults. But the problem is we are extremely inconsistent in we're, making any kind of application we're hypocritical. to ourself. We're hypocritical. Well, yes. See, as Lewis said another one this week, he says that the hardest thing to see is what's right in front of your eyes. <laughs> That's the <laughs> hardest thing to see. 
is what's right in front, front of your you, eyes. which is our behavior, which is our attitude, yeah. what we hold ourselves accountable to. For, and so that's what G and this is this is repeated over and over in the Bible, just not in those words. Well, it's 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 everywhere in the Bible. And I keep it's it's something maybe we should do a whole show on this sometime. Uh, James two. Uh, I want to yeah, read James two thirteen. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I'm going to ask somebody if who believes in the judgment and believes that you're going to stand before God and give account for everything that you've done in life. What are you going to want? Are you going to want justice? Or are you going to want mercy? And the question that there's no question in my mind, which one I'm going to need. No, I know that's the case. And we can we, we sometimes sometimes we know this. We say this as Christians. Do we live like that? That's the, the problem. Probably not. It's hard to, to do that. Uh, there, there was a wise man that helped us start this group here many years ago, uh, Mike, and he said there are people who can live the word of God and there are people who can teach the word of God, but there are very, very few people who can both live it and teach can it. Can do both. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, it, it's it's and, that, and even the best of us, of course, stumble. That doesn't mean that, well, because we all make mistakes, that all of our mistakes are excused. Um, Jesus doesn't say that. He, and you've heard me talk about this verse before. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it yes. would be better for a stone to be hanged about his neck and cast into the sea. Well, he's not saying there that if you're one of the ones that's been made to stumble, that somehow that excuses your sin. The, why, does, why is the one who caused the little one to stumble, why are they condemned? Why should they have a millstone about their neck? Because they caused another person to sin against God and be judged. That's why. They caused the other person to sin. And I'm not using the word cause there any differently than Jesus. He used the word cause. It's not a scientific type cause. It is an influence, an undue influence on someone with our behavior and actions. So, yes, you can cause somebody to sin. And when you do that, they're going to sin. And because they're judged, God will bring judgment back on you. So you've got to be careful. All of us have this kind of influence. So the idea that we, because somebody, because we're, I have my faults and I, I, we all have faults. The idea in modern society, well, that just excuses all of us. No, it just condemns all of us. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something here that way back from my childhood, I was told if I did something wrong or I wronged someone, you, you have to go to them and say you're sorry and then it'll be all right. The problem we get into is we teach our children that without understanding because even today, adults will say, well, I'm sorry, and then it's all okay, and everything's forgotten, and the consequences are still there. Yes. The, the effect of what you said is still there. You can't undo those. And you can't undo those, and so you have to learn from them, because if you just say, I'm sorry, and throw it away, then you don't learn anything or do anything different or understand how you need to change your the way you act. And, and that's exactly what the Bible is trying to do. The Bible is trying to get you to conform how you act and what you do to what God desires. And part of that's because of the way it influences the people around you. Yes. Much less your own culpability and guilt in this matter. So, but that, that attitude of, well, I'm sorry, and it all goes away, yeah. is just be careful, parents, when you teach your young children this, you have to un make them understand that the consequences of what they did did not go away. What are the three R's here of repentance? It's regret. Uh, and one of those is restitution. Yeah. Making right what you can, you can make right about the wrong that you've done. This is where people fall apart. They lack that. It's it's They don't try to then undo the damage. Well, some damage, words, some damage can't be undone. Some words is that it can't always be undone unless you use other words and you're but then the, even those words of I'm sorry, they have to be followed up by act, action. So saying I'm sorry and then just uh, dismissing going on about your business. And then the same thing happens again. And we we haven't made any change. This is a difficult thing. Well, the original question was, what's well, the benediction? 
And I, I think we've just, when you go back and look at that, well, you, you have any more to say about that? Well, we're off on a well, tangent here. Well, I know, I know we're off on a tangent, but I, Mike, I can't overemphasize this tangent because I see it every day in children and adults. This is not just, no, it, it's, you're exactly it, it's, it's, it's there. And if I go back to, you know, listing all the scriptures that say God is going to deal with us the way we have dealt with our brothers and sisters on this earth. Uh, it's a scary thing when you start looking at all those passages. Mm-hmm. Are, I, I, well, I don't. It should be at least a, a serious matter to us. And you probably heard me tell you this story before. One time, we were standing. I remember we were standing in our kitchen. This was years ago. Judy was upset with me. My wife Judy was upset with me at something. She said, "Well, you know, you this, that, and the other a little bit." She wasn't yelling at me or being un, 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 unladylike or unChristian. And I looked at her, and I, I was kind of had my hands on her shoulders, on her arms, and I said, "I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm sorry." And, and it must have been something the way I said it. I almost had to pick her up. I had to hold on to the pipe because I think she about fell on the floor. It was so unlike me not to defend myself with some reason that it was her fault. Well, what see, I had done, and it and it became kind of a learning thing. Then that became a, a thing that helped me to realize my, my apologies are like you're talking about. They're really really blaming the other person for well, what the, I've done, and they and I didn't make any changes about that, you know. So well, there's a there's a phrase, Mike, that if you use this phrase and find yourself using this phrase quite a bit, you should really stop and think. And the phrase I've learned is, well, you do it too. Oh yeah, you do that. That that is a and, and that, that is a, true. But that, that is a signal change. flag that that something is wrong it, here it, with it what I've done. It may be true, but it just ruined your apology. <laughs> yes. Okay. It just completely. And so, if you're the kind of person that your wife gets weak in the knees when you apologize, and she thinks you mean it, <laughs> you, need to, you need to take a good long look at how you treat people. But I'm going to tell you, if you if you use that phrase, you do it too. I'll tell yeah. you, flags ought to, bells ought to be ringing and flags With, ought to be Without going. the statement, and what are we going to do about it? <laughs> yes. Know, right, I understand what you mean. Yeah, you, we all do. We all do these things. That is true. But that that's the, the, I'll give you the reverse example. The college I went to, Florida College, when I, this was back in the 70s. When I went there, it was permissible for the boys, the men, to smoke in their dormitory room. They couldn't smoke out on campus or anywhere else. Only in their room they could. So I had me a corn cob pipe and I smoked it sometimes in my room. The girls were not permitted to smoke anywhere, on campus or in their room or anywhere. The girls were not. Oh my my. And so that was the rule, and and so there was a lot of complaints about it, and that we heard over the summer that the college was going to change the rule, and so they did change the rule. Nobody could smoke anywhere. <laughs> no. it wasn't exactly the rule change they wanted, but it was now fair. So, uh, you know, when you say you do it, too, we all think that means, oh, good, we're going to be a rule change. We can all do this now. But God says, no, OK, nobody can do it. You know, he just brings us back where we are. And no, none of us should be doing that. Sometimes we're surprised when we look at the, what the real law of God is and how it applies. So this is this should be a the, the mark of a Christian, one of the marks of a Christian. I know that. If you have a love for one another, is the mark that Jesus gives. This is contained in that mark. That one of the marks of a Christian is the ability to look at yourself as you truly are as much as possible, and and then repent or change. Yes. Acknowledge that to the people it needs to be acknowledged to, and actually mean it, and try to fix it. Try to do and, something. And where does Paul, where does Paul say that? Examine it. yourself to see that you're in the faith. And, and and that self-examination is really hard. That that is not an easy now, thing. Yes, and this I mean, will set apart. This will set the Christian apart in our society. I know we have our beliefs about these cultural issues, you know, abortion and on and on, and we have all these beliefs about uh, our things that set Christians apart. But what would really set a Christian apart in our society is this kind of behavior. That Christians d- demonstrate this true repentance and sorrow, and um, offer true apologies when they're wrong, and self-examination. 
that's the kind of thing that should set us apart because those things lead to loving your neighbor as yourself, don't they? Yes. They're directly related to loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, they're also directly related to one that, you know, if I can get through this next thing in Wednesday night and get back into John, we're going to cover, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. You cannot say that you love Jesus and then not look at his word and not keep his commandments. Right. It's other, just impossible. Right. And you've already touched on this in your class. That a new, Jesus says in John, um, I think it's 16:34, a new commandment I give it to you. Yes. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's the new part. Yes. And, and the word that's used in for new there, there's two words in Greek for new. I don't know if you are aware of this, but one of them is neos. We get like neon, neon or uh, even in that, what's that, Matrix movies and that one guy called Neo. Yeah. It means new. So you have uh, the new, and that means kind of new in time. Okay. Are new in manufacture, are yes. brand new. Now, in the word that's used for new commandment that Jesus uses is of a new kind, a new type of thing, as it were. It's not the, uh, not the kind that you're used to. So when he says, I give you a new commandment, he says, I'm giving you a commandment to love one. The commandment to love one another was from the beginning of the law of Moses and probably before that. Okay, but he's saying, as I have loved you, love your neighbor as yourself is a good commandment. Love your neighbor as I have loved you goes a lot further, goes a lot further. It's better and deeper. And it's of a different of a new kind of commandment, which yes, causes great self-reflection of the kind of love that Jesus. As a matter of fact, he uses that phrase again later. He says this new commandment I have given you. And then he turns for, he talks about no greater love hath any man than he lay down his life for his brother. Right. He, he equates that to just exactly what he was fixing to do, which was lay down his life for mankind. And it, as I have loved you, as I have loved you. So, yes, that's how that goes. Um, when you think about that. Well, anyway, I appreciate the question, Jerry. And this benediction is worth reading and considering the Lord bless you and keep you. Yes, that one in numbers is, uh, I'm, I'm going to underline that one. Yeah. So the Lord bless you and keep you. What would that mean? The Lord bless you means all make sure you win the lottery and you always have good things that you want. You get your new Nintendo Switch, you know, and get all your good things, got a new car when you want one. Or is that what, is that what it means, the Lord bless you and keep or, you? Or it may I don't be think so. and give you peace, so. you know, peace. <laughs> Can, there, there can be several kinds of peace, and right. the Lord can give you those. Yes, he can. But the blessings, sometimes what we think of as a blessing may actually be a curse. This is asking God to truly give us stuff that will bless us or uh, lift us up. He Make his face to shine upon you. Sometimes the Lord's face shines on us in our sorrow. I've probably been closer to God in sorrow than I have at any time in joy in my life. I don't know if that's just me, Gary, but I have felt, if it's worth anything, I have felt closer to God and felt um, like uh, he loved me more in my deep sorrow than I have when things went my way and so forth. Maybe it's just me, but don't confuse the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you that everything's going to be swimmingly great for you, and you'll have a, quote, good day, meaning all the traffic will flow smoothly. smoothly. Your parking order, parking, place, parking close place is correct. Your order at Starbucks is all right. That's a, the Lord blessing you? Well, maybe. This is not what it mean, this means, though. And then let, let the, Lord, the Lord lift his, up his countenance upon you so that he uh, is pleased with you is the idea. Yes. Uh, and that's partly your responsibility because the Lord can still love you and be displeased with you. My my mother was displeased with me many times. She still loved me. I, I've been displeased with my children before, and I still love them. So he's saying here, in this case, be pleased with you and give you peace. Peace is, in Hebrew, the word peace there, Gary, is wholeness or oneness or unity, as it were. You're not shattered or broken in pieces. They were to use unhewn stones for their altars. That word for unhewn stone is the same word for peace. It's used other places in the Old Testament. 
That, that, and that's why they couldn't carve their rocks they used for altars, because the altar of sacrifice was to bring them at peace with God, bring them back to oneness with God and peace. So what we are looking for, if we know what we're, if we know what to look for at all, we're looking for hope and oneness with God, and I, you get that through this blessing. Yeah, I just I just keep reminding myself when I when I talk, uh, particularly when I talk with God. Pardon me. Be careful what you ask for, or you may get it. Yes, you might, and so be cautious about those things, and and uh, think through the things you ask for. And that's why I have to confess it's probably weakness on my part. A lot of times I don't even know what to ask, and so I just ask the Lord to do like this. This prayer doesn't ask for anything specific, does it? No. It's letting, it, in a sense, it's letting God decide, but it's based on your desire to please him and serve him and live right, do right toward him and your fellow man. That's what this blessing is based on. How can God, I can give you examples personally. If I did, it'd probably be, we only got about three minutes left, but maybe people would know who I'm talking about. But there's even siblings and families from the same parents, raised by the same parents. One chooses a path of, self-indulgence and immorality and disobedience. The other one chooses a path of self-denial, thinking of others, and a path to seek God and do what's right. Which one of those two people can God bless? Well, he can bless both of them in a certain way. But the truth of God's blessings is God can only bless you in the way that really is beneficial to you in your obedience to him. The, that, that, that sibling who seeks the Lord and seeks to do right and seeks God's face, the Lord can bless that person so much differently and so much more than the one who's turned against him. Sometimes the only one who's turned against him, all, the only way the Lord can bless him is to destroy his life, as it were, and bring him to his knees. That'd be a great blessing, wouldn't it, to bring a sinner to his knees and cause him to repent. But what had to happen to the man... How could God bless the prodigal son? He could only bless him by bringing him to his knees so that no one would give him anything and he was starving and decided he'd go back home. Well, the only, That was a blessing, wasn't right, it? Right, right. But Not the only, what, only caution I have, remember reading in Romans 1, uh, following verse 18, you can take yourself far enough away from God. Uh, basically, Paul says, therefore God, God also them gave them up. Right. To the lust of their hearts and dishonor yeah. of their bodies. Don't, do not take God. I'm just saying we want the Lord to bless us, but He can only bless us in as much as we turn to Him. Right. And therefore, then He can bless us open. And that's the lesson. And when I got a couple minutes left, that's the blessing in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, where God lays out the two choices of the history of Israel: that if they kept His law, they would be blessed beyond even the ability to keep the hold the blessings. If they disobey His law, they'd be driven from their land and cursed. And, and what's the difference in those two blessings? Well, whether they sought God's face and, and sought him or whether they didn't. And so God could bless them one way, this way he can bless them. And what happened was once they were driven from their land and brought to their knees, many of them, a remnant, turned back to God. Was that a blessing? Yes, it was. But the blessing was certainly not what God intended. He wanted to give them a blessing in obedience that they couldn't even hold so great that he couldn't he had to give them captivity to bless them so this could be your life this could be how you're living well god always works to our good though we though we do not always recognize it just be careful at some point god may stop working for your good and that's what i think yeah, is he that, may have to bring you he may have to destroy you and bring you to your knees yeah. and, and even then it won't work necessarily because you yeah. can become so hardened that you can't hear oh well got about a minute left gary we probably need to wrap this up we appreciate uh calls this morning and other thing, hope hope that you have gained something from our discussion this morning by thinking about uh, this uh, these things we've discussed. We'd like to invite you to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. We are just Christians, all one word. dot com. You'll find sermons, podcasts, all kind of information there. These radio shows. I'd like to invite you to come and be with us today. Twenty one ninety six Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. Two one nine six Southwest Savona. Uh, word behind the little shopping center in the southwest corner of Savona in California. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money or embarrass you. We'd just love to meet you. 
and you'll be with other Christians who love the Lord and want to serve him. Thanks for tuning in today. Hope you can tune in again next week. May God bless you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL, Port St. Lucie.